Well, we want to take this opportunity to welcome First Norfolk on Volvo, so let's welcome them as they join us uh, for this time of worship. What a joy it is for us to gather together. Uh, imagine with me the man or the woman uh, that uh, finds themselves lost in the desert. For whatever reason, they uh, were going on a hike and uh, walking through the Arizona uh, landscape, and they take a wrong turn. And they find themselves stuck in the middle of the desert. Uh, they walk and they walk and the, the heat beats down on them. And they, they, uh, they, they find themselves uh, not just tired in bone and body, but they start feeling the tickle of thirst begin to creep on the back of their throat. Their tongue becomes dry and, and they're looking around as they wander through the desert place as the heat continues to sap all the strength from their body, the, the, the water, the thought of water becomes to con, begins to consume their, their mind. They're thinking about uh, where they're going to sleep, certainly, and they're thinking about maybe even what they're going to eat, but as the hours uh, begin to multiply, it's no longer food for their stomach, but then it's, it's water. If they're there in the desert, uh, not just uh, hours, but days, after a while, they're not thinking about food anymore. I mean, it might hit every now and then. They think about, boy, I wish I could get a cheeseburger. But at that point, after a couple of days in that heat, and body completely dehydrated, all they really want is water. There's a fear that begins to rise up in them as they... As they understand, if they don't get water pretty quick, they're not going to make it. That's being thirsty. Now, all of us uh, understand that scenario. We, we get it. We, we have tasted the hints of thirst before. And can I just say, as long as we can pick up one of these pretty much anywhere we want to pick them up, whenever we want to get a little water, you can turn on the tap uh, in, in, in pretty much any place you go. You can, you can drink some water. and uh, I, I mean, as long as water is so readily accessible to us, we, we've only had a taste of thirst. It's only been a glimpse. You, know, you work hard out, outside all day and, and you're, you're, you're uh, you know, cutting uh, grass and and mowing lawns and cutting hedges or, or you're digging a ditch or something and, and you're doing all that effort and doing all that work and, and you're thirsty and then you go and you get you a bottle of water and you drink and you're fine. But you, you and I both understand what it means to be thirsty, at least the hint of it. What the Bible talks about and what we're going to look at today is more than just a, a thirsty body, it's the thirst of the soul. I mean a thirsty soul where, where you are living in the desert of life and, and you're wandering along in the dry, dry uh, desert longing for something to, to, to touch your soul with life, wondering, wondering if you'll ever be nourished, if you'll ever be satisfied with, with, with water for your soul. Your dried up soul is longing for nourishment. You're living in the drought of that dryness and, and you're longing for an escape from the listlessness and the lifelessness that that desert kind of life brings. And the Bible talks about that kind of life that all of us 
experience. It's that kind of life that that I want us to look at today. Not, Not the life itself, but how to escape it. You see, all of us, all of us taste that wilderness life because all of us, all of us have experienced the reason for it. I'll get to that in a second. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 55. See, Isaiah is the prophet that God sent to deliver God's message to a people who were living in a wilderness They were living in the wilderness of their own soul. They they had, in their history, they had walked through the wilderness. uh, And and in their history, they had experienced that the drought of of desert land. But, But now, Isaiah comes to them with a message from God to tell God's story of rescue for them as they're living in the desert of the soul. In Isaiah 55, we come to the, the headwaters, as it were, of this message that God sent Isaiah to proclaim. And give you a little background, Isaiah um, uh, was, was mourning one day. He was grieving because a good king of Israel had died, King Uzziah. And so Isaiah goes to the place of mourning for him, a place where he hoped to find comfort in the midst of his pain. He went to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. As he walked in the temple in that same year that King Uzziah died, God granted him a vision of heaven, a vision of God in all of his glory and all of his grandeur and all of his power. It's a a picture of of God in heaven. Uh, And and the glory of the Lord was shining brightly, and Isaiah saw it, and and angels were there, and and they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Uh, The whole earth is filled with his glory. I mean, it's an amazing scene, that that vision of heaven that Isaiah sees. But Isaiah was immediately confronted with his own drought of his soul. As he sees God in all of his holiness, he, he responds and he says, he says, woe is me, Isaiah 6, woe is me, I'm undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He said, God is holy and I'm not and I'm undone. He saw his own dilemma and God in his grace provided Cleansing for Isaiah's sinfulness, uncleanness. And then God sends Isaiah on a mission. A mission to share that encounter with God uh, to the people. Uh, and, And so Isaiah begins to go and he shares this message of God. And it's the story of God's rescue. And as Isaiah is sharing it in Isaiah chapters 7 through 39, we hear Isaiah Proclaim the message of God's faithfulness, of God's holiness, of God's righteousness, of God's perfection, of God's uniqueness, of God's sovereignty, of God's power. God is God. You are not. Okay? And boy, what a great message for us today to hear that God is sovereign and powerful, that God, that God is faithful, that God is holy. And we, we need to hear that message today, but it, Isaiah didn't just tell the People And he doesn't just share with us that God is faithful. He also has to tell us the the, the hard side of that truth, and that is 
just as God is faithful, we are unfaithful. And, and Isaiah had to go and he had to tell the people, yeah, God is faithful, but you have responded to God's faithfulness with rebellion, with unfaithfulness. You have responded to, to God's faithful love that he has expressed to you when he brought you up out of bondage in Egypt, when he led you across the Red Sea and on dry ground, when he led you to the land of promise uh, and, and gave it to you, you know, when, when he led you and, and gave you his law and, 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 and committed himself to you in covenant, in response to God's faithfulness, you responded to him in unfaithfulness, rebellion, sinfulness. Now, now that, that's our story as well. It's not just the children of Israel. That's you and me. God in his faithfulness displays his faithfulness and his, his faithful love and he displays his holiness and his perfection. But, but you and I, each one of us, we have responded to God with rebellion and sinfulness and unfaithfulness. All of us here, and, and I, I don't want to be flippant with this, I just want to be real. You are a sinner, as am I. And that is our big dilemma, by the way. That is what has created the desert of our soul. Uh, our sin has created this chasm between us and a holy God that we cannot cross. That it's, that, it's, that, it's that drought that distance with God brings. It's, it's a dryness of the soul, a shriveled up life because we are far from God. And we can't do anything to fix that distance. We can't, we can't cure it. We can't erase it. So in Isaiah chapters 7 through 39, he, Isaiah comes with the message, God is faithful, you are not. And in verses 40 through 48, Isaiah's message takes a, a, an even worse turn. It's God is faithful, you are not. God is holy, you are not. And in verses 40 through 48, he says, and now judgment. There will be discipline. There will be judgment for your rebellion. And, and we need to hear that as well. The, the dryness of our soul, the shriveled up life that we experience, the hopelessness and listlessness of life is the direct result of our sinfulness. They go hand in glove. And for the children of Israel, their lifeless existence would be demonstrated and revealed for, uh, in living color in a Babylonian powerhouse coming and conquering them and taking away the best and the brightest of Israel and killing a bunch of the rest, taking the best and the brightest into exile in Babylon. And that, that was the, 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 the display of judgment because of sin and rebellion. Our, our, our lives may not show such um, poignant displays, but they are still the displays of judgment nonetheless, the longing in our life that is never satisfied, the yearning of our heart and soul that is never quite um, realized. It's the, it's the emptiness, the big hole in the middle of your heart that you can't seem to fix. That's, that's our life. Because of our sin. That's the judgment and the consequence. And ultimately, it is distance from God. We don't have a relationship with God because of our sin. So, Isaiah chapter 7 through 39, God is faithful, 
we are not. Isaiah chapters 40 through 48, there's judgment because of that. But Isaiah chapters 49 through 55, God brings rescue. Here's good news. See, God in his love and because of his faithfulness and because of his great love, he sends rescue. He sends rescue in the person of a a suffering servant, one who would come and bring pardon for sinners, one who would come and literally take the punishment that sinners deserved upon himself and pay the price for their sin's debt so that they might be forgiven. It is this promise of rescue that Isaiah highlights in Isaiah chapter 55. And it's not merely an offer to the children of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 55, we hear God's offer of rescue to you and to me. Literally, to everyone who is thirsty. Look in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1, 2, and 3. Isaiah the prophet becomes the mouthpiece of God, and God begins to speak to you and to me today, and he says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good. Delight yourself in satisfying food. Incline your ear and come to me, says the Lord. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. The sure mercies of David. Now what is God promising there? God promises through this message from Isaiah to you and to me. Is that you and I can have our greatest soul's delight through faith in Christ. That that we can find our soul's greatest delight satisfied through faith in Jesus Christ. This is not a complex message. And it's not complicated. And yet, it is perhaps the most important message that I ever preach. It's... the most important talk that I ever give. You and I need to hear it again. And some of, some of us who have gathered here, we need to hear it for the first time. See, the, the reality is that we're all in need of our soul's greatest delight. We're thirsty For that which will satisfy us completely. We're thirsty for life. But we can't have it. What God does through Isaiah, he says, come everyone who thirsts. Well, that's all of us. All of us are thirsty. All of us are in need of something, someone to satisfy the hunger of our heart. We're all in need. Everyone is thirsty. Why are we thirsty? Because we have discovered that our pursuits in this life will not satisfy. 
We have discovered that our relationships, even the best of the relationships we have, do not scratch the the deepest itches of our soul. We have discovered that no matter how much money we make, we need one dollar more. We have discovered that no matter how big our house, we want to add on another room or get another bathroom. No matter how nice and fancy our car is, there's a new one coming and we need that one. We've discovered that, that everything that we have thought will satisfy us is just out of our reach and, and we are thirsty. The real cause of our thirst is not our lack of possessions. It's not our, our need for greater pleasures. Our, our, our thirst comes from a distance between us and God. That's why, that's why God makes an offer and he says, everyone who thirsts come to the waters. What are these waters of which he speaks. It's, it's the water of life. It's the water that gives life. It's the water that satisfies us. And that water that satisfies comes only through Jesus Christ. In, in John chapter 6, verse 34, I want you to hear that, verse 35, I want you to hear Jesus talk, okay? In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, if anyone will come to me, they'll never hunger again. And if anyone will believe on me, Jesus said, they will never be thirsty again. Jesus is speaking exactly what God's offer is. He says, here I am. I'm here to satiate the deepest thirst and to satisfy the greatest hunger of your heart and your life. And oh, how we know that hunger that needs to be satisfied. Oh, how we know that thirst that needs to be satisfied. You say, well, why, 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 why is Jesus the one that can satisfy? How is he the water? Because he is the one who is sent from God for this very purpose. In John chapter 4, Jesus is, 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 is walking through a town called Sychar in a village of Samaria. And as he's walking through this town, he stops at a well. It's Jacob's well. It's a, it, it was a well-known well. Uh, but Jesus stops there. It's the middle of the day, and everybody's already gathered their water. But here comes this one lone woman who comes up to the well. And, and Jesus looks to her, and he says, give me a drink. And the woman says, well, what are you doing talking to me, number one? Number, number two, uh, why are you asking me to give you a drink? And, and so Jesus begins this conversation. I want you to hear what Jesus said to this woman. Now, first of all, we need to understand the woman was thirsty. Not for water from a well. She was thirsty for life in her soul. She had tried every relationship. She, she's in the midst of her fifth relationship, fifth husband-type relationship, uh, she was isolated from her community. Nobody would spend time with her because she was a, one of those kind of people, as the villagers would say about her. She was lonely. She was isolated. She was thirsty. And she hadn't found anything to satisfy her thirst. And now Jesus approaches her. And he says to her, John chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Whoever drinks of water from this well will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give, that person will never thirst. The water that I give 
will become in that person a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. That, that term everlasting life is life with, without end, life that is satisfying, life that bubbles up inside of us, a life that never becomes thirsty again. And that's what Jesus offers. How? How does Jesus offer it? Well, Jesus is the one sent from God to do that, but how does he do it? He does it because he's the only one who can bridge the distance between us and God. And Jesus has come to, to be that suffering servant. If you flip over a few pages, a few paragraphs in Isaiah chapter 53, we see that Jesus, the suffering, the suffering servant, the one who would deliver this water that gives us life, that satisfies us completely, that, 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 that leads us to our greatest soul's delight, this Jesus is the one upon whom God will plant our sinfulness, the penalty of our sin, the, the payment price for our sin. This is Jesus. By his stripes, we can be made whole. Because Jesus, who was perfect in every way, who never sinned, who, who always fulfilled God's righteous requirements perfectly, Jesus, who is God, come from heaven, uh, who shrank his deity in the skin of humanity, who lived his life and taught great truth and, and performed great miracles. This same Jesus didn't flaunt his, his, uh, his perfection, but rather he sacrificed himself. Even though he could have called all hu uh, humanity to worship him as the great one, he took the form of a servant and gave his life for sinners. He died in the place of sinners. He died for you. He died for me. He paid the price for our sin so that through faith in him we might live. He died so that you and I could live and live fully and completely satisfied. He brought forgiveness. He chases away our shame. He erases the guilt. He makes us brand new. Through his death and through his resurrection, we can be forgiven. We can have new life. That's why he's the one, the only one, the only one who is the water of life. So let's stop depending on a mirage. Let's, let's stop depending on, on a mirage that cannot deliver life. Stop depending upon that, that mirage that, 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 that if I get just one more dollar, then I'll be satisfied. Stop chasing the mirage that says if I, if I get a better friend or a better class of friends or, or, or a, a whole different friend group, then I'll be satisfied. Let, let's stop thinking that if I make an A on the test, I'll be satisfied. Let, let's stop chasing the mirage that says if I just get a good feeling in my gut, if I could just get a little woo, then I'll be satisfied. Let's stop chasing the mirage. You know the mirage. You know how that works. Um, you've seen it played out on, on television shows. The guy in the desert is walking along and, and uh, overcome by heat and thirst. He looks in the horizon and in the shimmering uh, uh, horizon he sees uh, what he believes to be palm trees that promise water, so he begins to run uh, after those palm trees. The palm trees are always outside his distance. When he gets a little way, the mirage disappears, and, and, and that's, 
That's what you and I have been chasing to, to kind of deaden the pain of our sinfulness, the separation that we have because of our sin, separation from God that we have because of our sin. We've been chasing all these other different imaginary oases. We're thinking that these imaginary oases are going to somehow satisfy us. If I can just be better, if I can just do better, if I can just be more religious, if I can just follow a set of rituals uh, to, my, to, 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 to somebody's satisfaction, if, if, I could just, uh, if I could just be a better Southern Baptist, can I tell you, some of us are here, and we have been living our lives trying to be the best Southern Baptist we can be, and you have been counting for decades on the fact that if you can be the best Southern Baptist you can be, that that is somehow going to satisfy you. Friends, i got to tell you, that will never satisfy. I know. I've tried it. Your religious efforts and my religious efforts are, are filthy rags. They, they don't satisfy. They're cotton candy. They give us a, 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 a momentary boost, but it, it doesn't give us satisfaction for our soul. We need to stop chasing these imaginary oases thinking that if I get better, then I'll be satisfied. Or if I have a different relationship, or I'll be satisfied. Or if I, if, I can just, um, if I can just make more money, I'll be satisfied. Or pay more bills, I'll be satisfied. All those things may be good, but they will never satisfy the soul. And we have, we've been treating them like they're the answer to our life's journey. And today, we need to stop depending on the mirage. That's, that's why in verse 2, it says, it says, why are you spending your your, your your time and your energy on, on stuff that will never satisfy. He says, he says why, why are you spending your money for that which is not bread? Your labor for that which won't satisfy. Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. What is good? It's Jesus. Jesus, he's the only one who can satisfy us completely. So I invite you to come to Jesus and experience your soul's delight. Come to Jesus and and find your soul's delight fulfilled only through him. Not anyone else. Nothing else. No one else. Not not a religion. Not a a moral code of conduct. Not not doing better. Not making a better grade. Not making more money. Not not anything. Only Jesus. And guys, if you don't think that, 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 that Jesus is the only way, then you'll never be satisfied. Ever. You'll be chasing an imaginary oasis that will never give you your soul's greatest delight. Come to Jesus. That's that's verse 3. That's that's what uh, God is saying to, to us today. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear so that your soul might live. And I'll make with you an everlasting covenant, the sure mercies of David. He says, I'm going to commit myself to you. You come to me. You come to me, and I will commit myself to you, and and you will live. You'll be satisfied. Today, I invite you. As some of you are here, and you have experienced that wondrous life that, that Jesus alone provides. You've tasted this wondrous, satisfying, soul-satisfying uh, life that, that only Jesus can provide. You, you know that. You've tasted that. You've experienced it. But some of you are here and you haven't. Some of you are here and you don't know that. You, you're, you're thirsty. You're thirsty. You're longing 
for something to satisfy you. Guys, look at me. Please. The only thing that's going to satisfy you is Jesus. Nothing else. That's it. So come to Jesus. God says, listen to me and find life. Right now, God speaking through his word, and he says, listen and find life. You're here today, and there's a distance between you and God because of sin. And Jesus, and Jesus alone provides forgiveness for that sin. Escape from the shame, erasing and eradicating the guilt through his own death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Today, will you come to Christ and experience your soul's greatest delight. Can I also suggest that now's the time? Not, not sometime later. Now is the time. Look, look down in verse, verse 6. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There's an urgency there. God says, hey, listen, now's the time, not sometime later, not sometime next week, next year, next month. Now is the time. If you have not come to Jesus, if you have not experienced the life that God offers through Christ, then today is the day. Seek the Lord while he may be found now, not later, now. Now, how do you do it? How do you seek the Lord while he may be found well, first, it, it takes repentance. I mean, look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Can I just say something real quick? Let the wicked forsake his way. The wicked there, that's you. And that's me. Let the unrighteous forsake his thoughts. Hey, that's you and that's me. Let him be turned to the Lord, and the Lord will have mercy on him. Let him be turned to our God, for God will abundantly pardon. How do we taste the forgiveness of God through Christ? It means that we repent. Repentance is simple. I mean, it's not easy, but it's simple to understand. Repentance is where we turn away from the direction we're going and we go in a brand new direction. Repentance is where we stop chasing our imaginary oasis as if they're going to satisfy us. We stop pursuing sin as if that is what we need in our life. When we start pursuing Jesus. We, we trust in Jesus. We turn to Jesus. We believe that what he did on the cross, he did his payment for my sin. We believe that the only way for me to be forgiven is by Jesus. And we believe that the only way for me to experience a new start and a new life is the resurrection of Jesus. We repent, turn away from our wicked thoughts, our unrighteous deeds, turn away, set aside our sin. And turn toward Jesus. Guys, look. If you want to be satisfied, come to Jesus. And you come to Jesus when you turn from yourself, 
and your sin, and even your religion. If you're counting on being a Southern Baptist and that's going to get you to heaven, then guys, i got to tell you, you're headed for hell. And I can place any other denominational name in that category. It's not a religious pursuit that's going to make things right. You've got to repent of that, and you need to turn to God. And what does God say? You need Jesus, and his death on the cross is payment for your sin. His resurrection from the dead to give you new life. Repent. Turn. And the only way you're going to turn is if you believe. You've got to believe. You've got to believe that Jesus is your only hope. You must believe Jesus is your only hope. That, that his death was for you. His resurrection gives you an opportunity for a new life. You've got to trust in Jesus. You've got to believe on Jesus. And as many as believed on Jesus, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be part of God's family. The distance that created such a drought in our soul has been bridged by Jesus Christ alone. So this morning, I invite you to come to Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me, please? This week, as I reflected on Billy Graham and the fact that he passed from this life into heaven's embrace, I think of how he shared this message of hope and life and God's rescuing love to millions of people for decades. It makes me think that really what I need to do right now is just make a simple appeal like he would have done. You're here today, and you see the deep emptiness of your soul. It's shriveled up. It's dead. And you see that your sin has separated you from God, and there is nothing that you can do to bridge that distance in your own effort. And today, as you have heard the word of God, You believe that Jesus is your only hope. And this morning, you are ready to cross that line of faith. You're ready to abandon yourself in the arms of Jesus. You're ready to choose Christ. God, by his grace, has awakened the spark of faith in you so that you might trust in Jesus So I invite you to choose Christ today, to come to him in faith. I invite you to choose Christ today by calling upon him for forgiveness and life. By calling on Jesus in prayer and saying, oh Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and that my sin has separated me from God. But Jesus, I believe that you are God's son And that you died on a cross as payment for my sin. And that you were raised from the dead so that I might have a new life. 
So Jesus, will you forgive my sin right now? Will you come and take charge of my life? Oh, Jesus, will you save me? And in this room today, even though many have already made that commitment, there are some here who have yet to make that commitment. And right now, you need to choose Christ. So in a moment, we're going to, I'm going to pray, and we're going to stand, and we're going to sing songs of worship to Jesus. And if you're here and you long to choose Christ today, I invite you to come to one of the ministers who will be here at the front. And you just share with us, I want to choose Jesus today. I want, I want my thirst satisfied. I want my sin forgiven. I want my shame erased. I want my guilt eradicated. I want new life. I want Jesus. So God, right now, as we have gathered here in your name and as you have spoken the truth of your word to your people, I pray that by your spirit and according to your grace, you would draw to yourself right now those whom you are calling. I pray, O oh God, that you, would, that you would speak intimately and personally to those who are ready to receive the wondrous new life that you provide in Christ. Give them the courage and the faith that they need to stand and to make their way to one of the ministers at the front. Oh God, will you transform some lives this morning for your glory's sake. Now be glorified as we worship you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.